BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My name is Haig Balian. I am a writer and a podcaster based in Beijing, China, and I am with Mark Dreyer. He is the China Sports Insider, and this is the China Sports Insider podcast. And it's maybe not officially the dog days of summer, but we are getting there. Today, we're going to talk MMA. We're going to talk a little bit of F1. And we talk to historian Jeremiah Jenny. Mark, how are you doing? I am very well. It is uh, particularly hot where I am. So yeah, uh, whether that counts as dog days, it's certainly the the sweaty days, <laughs> sweaty days of yeah. summer. Uh, but yeah, no, having uh, having fun, enjoying uh, enjoying the news. Nice. Well, I uh, I went for a run this week at Chaoyang Park, and I think it well. First of all, it was ridiculously hot. Uh, but also, uh, I am officially an old man, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I am an old man. What are we talking? Knees, knees, hips, or shoulders? No, no, no. No, no, worse, 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 worse. Much worse than this. Um, you know, you're not allowed to have bicycles in that park unless you're a very small child, okay? And I'm like, I know this. I've internalized this rule. And as I was running this week, there were these three expat kids on these share bikes that went through. And before I could even stop myself, I said, hey, you're not allowed to be in here with those bicycles. And of course, <laughs> like, who, who cares? It doesn't really matter. And of course, these kids turned to me and they're like, you know, basically they're like, fuck off. Like, like and they give me the finger and they start laughing at me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm well, that guy now. It could have been worse. When you were telling that story, I thought you were going to say that someone had offered you their bicycle because you looked so old and you needed the help. Oh. Like, <laughs> that's that's going to happen. That's going to happen. We're not far off from that, Mark. It's going to happen really, really <laughs> yeah. soon. Uh, but anyway, at least, at least I'm just glad that the parks are still open, you know, in this, in this sort of round of COVID, whatever this is right now. Uh, because yeah, I left town, I, I think the week that Chayam Park was, uh, was, had just closed, it sort of felt like the right time at that time. But good, good that it's, uh, it's reopened, at least for, for now. Okay, let's, let's talk sports. Because uh, I think, you know, actually, there's quite a lot to talk about. But let's start with uh, Zhang Weili. She had a huge win this week. Is she back? She is to a certain extent. I mean, it was a fantastic uh, knockout. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was exactly the kind of knockout if people haven't seen it, a spinning back fist which, you know, is, is a pretty rare move and is, it looks fantastic on television. So it's the kind of clip that goes viral. And so obviously that's great for her brand. It's great for her reputation. Um, I would just say it's sort of where does she go from here? You know, she's previously had lost um, two great bouts, but to, to Rose Namajunas. Rose has, has, has since lost uh, her latest one. So there's kind of like there's, there's a bit of... Um, you know, there's some rivalries developing in in the uh, in the division there. So Zhang Weili is clearly in the conversation. Whether she's going to get a title fight like next up, or maybe she kind of has to win another good one. Uh, but she's she's definitely there. And I think um, again, what's always encouraging to see. I'm always kind of looking. You know, what is the reaction in China? And people were were, were interested. There is sustained interest in Zhang Weili and 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 in the UFC right now. So so that was really good to see. All right, moving on to our next story. Joe Guan Yu, what is going on? Uh, for people like me who don't even drive, really, like, what is the issue here? Why is he not finishing in the points? So this is uh, China's new Formula One uh, racing driver who was on the show, um, uh, many listeners will know, just a, a few weeks ago. And he began the season 
in tears, uh, but they were tears of joy because on his debut, the first race of the season, he was 10th, which was in the points. He scored a point, which was beyond, I think, his and his team's wildest dreams. But he's proven that he's got the pace. He just doesn't have the reliability in his car. And three DNFs, or do, did not finish, uh, in his last four races is incredibly frustrating, not just for him, but for his growing army of fans here in China and around the world. You know, I've noticed on Twitter and, and, and other places online, he's getting quite a lot of of praise. A lot of people uh, have, have sort of been impressed by him and sort of feeling his frustration, um, not just not just uh, fans in China. So, you know, it's it's uh, the Alfa Romeo team has a Ferrari engine and Ferrari has also been suffering this reliability issue. So, you know, it's it's hard to, to avoid joining some dots there. Uh, but again, not really much he can do when the car is not making it to the finish line. He he's, um I saw one person sort of say, well, you know, he he made a bad move uh, in 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 Monaco and and um, over overshot a corner. To be honest, uh, that was actually a pretty ballsy move, and he was going for it. And it was like fair play, like uh, on a track which is almost impossible to overtake. You got to make something happen. So yeah, it didn't work that out. Uh, it, it didn't work out for him that time. He actually he actually said on the radio and then tweeted about this afterwards. It was hilarious. He goes, <laughs> he goes, wow! Uh, I nearly hit the wall. I need another pa- I need another pair of pants after that. <laughs> 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 and then and then shared that clip on the radio, which I thought was uh, brilliantly self uh, self deprecating as as well as humorous. But again, yeah, uh, he's you, a funny, go funny guy. You've got to go for it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. At the risk of sounding really really stupid, like wh- okay, what what is the deal with this engine, and why can't they just get another engine that does work? I mean, can can like Geely just come in and just give them an engine? Uh, well, uh, if there was a contract to do so, yes, but it wouldn't be nearly good enough. Uh, I mean, these machines take years and years and years of development to, to get up there. And that's why there just aren't too many uh, engines available at the top level. There's, there's fewer engines than there are than there are teams. So of course, if you've got Alfa Romeo uh, also getting the, uh, the, the, the Ferrari engine. It's not just the current engine, but you've also got like every season... Uh, there's new modifications. Sometimes the rules change. And so, again, huge amounts. We're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars in R&D here. And then there's new upgrades that are brought in throughout the season as well. So this is this is a years-long process that takes... There, there's, there's rumors that there are going to be um, new manufacturers joining F1. We've seen um, brands like uh, Toyota and Audi and, and Porsche kind of uh, in, in the... the the endurance racing and and definitely be some some rumors that some of them will be joining F1. But again, the investment is phenomenal. It's a it's a huge amount of money, but it takes years and years. Uh, like it's a long term commitment. Very very expensive. Has Joe Guan Yu expressed any sort of outward frustration with this and any criticism? Just it's just like from the outside for me, it must be so frustrating for him. You know, he's already under so much pressure. He's a rookie. He might lose his spot for next year. I mean, this, this has to be frustrating, right? Yeah, he has, but he's kind of kept it. I would say relatively well in check. Um, who knows what he said behind the scenes. There's quite a few outspoken drivers who, who are on their radio in the heat of the moment, basically screaming at their teams going like, you know, what the fuck is going on, guys? Like, and stuff like that, that kind of gets bleep, bleeped out, but it does get played. All of this uh, this radio communication is public. So you do need to be careful, um, particularly as a rookie. He can't be calling out his team. He can't be calling out, you know, if, it, if it's just bad luck, if it's just the engine, it's no one's fault. No one on the other end of that radio has let him down. Charles Leclerc, the uh, Ferrari driver, was badly let down by the strategy of his team in, in Monaco a few weeks ago. So like, he had every right to be kind of yelling at specific people. Uh, but for Joe Guan Yu, as you said, he's got to be kind of careful. But again, I think everyone's frustrated. They're all looking for answers. There, you know, you kind of have to uh, assume that they're all doing their best there. Um, a certain, you know, how much is it bad luck? How much is is it um, is it just you know a, a sub a substandard engine? Elements, arguments to be made both ways. But I think you know, in Formula One. The races, are, it's not endurance racing. You don't need to last for 24 hours. You need to, you know, basically do the best you can in an hour and a half, two hours. And so it's all about pushing the engine as much as you possibly can, but not too much that it breaks down, right? Um, so it is finding that kind of sprint uh, sprint racing balance between getting the absolute most out of your cars and the tires. You know, drivers, you hear a lot of drivers talk about tire management, and it's kind of a boring thing to hear about as a fan, you don't want a driver sort of thinking, well, I have to drive slowly to take care of the tires. Like, 
that, that's not excitement about racing, but it is a reality, right? You're pushing every corner, your tires are going to give out, you're going to crash. You know, uh, an, an oversimplification, but, <laughs> you know. I mean, have, I don't know if you've ever driven on the third ring road late at night, Mark, but that's what it sounds like. That's it's pretty much exactly that strategy. <laughs> what, what kind of speeds do you get in the hike? <laughs> Not me. There's all, all the people around me. It's like they're revving. It's amazing. Like people are going really fast. All right. Well, let's move on to our next story. Uh, Zhang Qinwen, the t- new tennis star, uh, she just won a tennis tournament. What tennis tournament did she win? Yeah, she won in Valencia in Spain, uh, uh, sort of one, one of the the, the one twenty five level uh, WTA tournament. So, uh, not a top uh, tournament, but a, a genuine WTA title nonetheless. Obviously, her first, and she is now uh, number forty six in the world. So, really capitalizing on that uh, solid run that she had. Uh, to the round of 16 in the French Open. So fantastic to, to sort of keep that momentum up. Unfortunately, the, the, the season has now transitioned onto grass, and she lost in the first round uh, of her first uh, uh, grass court tournament in Berlin. But hopefully she can kind of uh, uh, have a steep learning curve. They often talk about going from clay to grass as tennis court players. The, um, the transition is, is one of the toughest in the whole year because the differences in the surfaces. And um, I'm going to assume that, you know, having grown up uh, with a Spanish coach and, and spent a, a bunch of years in, in Spain in the last few years, she's obviously much more comfortable on clay than she is on grass. So, again, hopefully she has the tools. She can convert that. And so, uh, you know, maybe by the time Wimbledon rolls around in, in a few weeks time, she can have a little bit of a run, uh, even if she's not going to sort of go uh, become a serious contender yet. But uh, so far, so good, I think, uh, think we have to say. And certainly, last time we talked about her, you know, she's, she's made uh, uh, additional strides since then. Before we get to Jeremiah, a couple of things caught your eye this week. What were they, Mark? Well, I remember there was a time. Uh, so fans of, of English Premier League soccer will uh, perhaps remember this story. But there was a Manchester derby that was supposed to take place uh, in 2016 at the Burzner Stadium in Beijing. And uh, it was a big showdown between uh, Jose Mourinho and uh, Pep Guardiola. Unfortunately, it was rained out. Uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of talk about this. You know what the hell's going on? Uh, Mourinho had sort of talked about how bad the pitch is. They were just like, we want to get through this game. We're not really interested in playing it. You know, the media were trying to build this up as a big rivalry. The, the managers and the coaches and the team and the players were basically just saying, well, look, if we can get out without an injury, that is a win. There was a press conference at a very, very heated uh, temperature-wise because it was in summer in, uh, in 2016. They actually moved it from the bowels of the stadium to outside on the pitch because it was so hot uh, inside and they didn't have uh, air conditioning. There was one particular journalist who was giving Mourinho a bit of a grilling. And uh, uh, it turns out that this journalist was a, was a Chelsea fan and she was asking a few questions about, you know, well, you, you kind of... You have this history of, of starting off well at clubs and then uh, kind of going off the boil. Uh, Mourinho didn't like this line of questioning at all. Uh, and he kind of got quite upset and said, who are you? Where are you from? It turns out this journalist was uh, someone by the name of Hayes Fan. Uh, then, I think, I believe at uh, CNBC, currently in the news for having apparently just been released on bail earlier this year for Bloomberg. So I saw the, the story about Hayes uh, um, earlier this week and, and, and just remembered that, that story, which is kind of a nice one. Good journalist, a good sporting journalist at work. They're asking the tough questions, pissing off Jose Mourinho in public. So um, not a bad thing in my book, I think. That's a great story, Mark. And we are definitely thinking of Hayes Fan, wherever she is right now. Jeremiah Jenny is our guest today. He is amazing. He's a historian. He's a sinologist. And he's got a great podcast called Barbarians at the Gate. And he's a massive Boston sports fan. We got into that and many other things. Here is Jeremiah Jenny. Yeah, let's officially start this. Uh, you know, this could be like some banter. We're wasting content. We're wasting content. <laughs> exactly. We can't do that. So Jeremiah Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on the China Sports Insider Podcast. Just as background, you know, I've I've seen one of your presentations here in Beijing and it was fantastic. What You're a historian. What is it that you do here in China? Uh, mostly try to get try to avoid having my visa ripped up and my passport lit on fire. To be honest, uh, <laughs> a lot of what I do is to study history, research history, and when students are available to teach, teach them history. Um, my profession, I guess, is 
uh, free-range sinologist, rogue historian. Uh, I, I do operate a small brand called Beijing by Foot that does educational programs, historic walks and uh, lectures and, and other programs for embassies, schools, community groups, and, you know, and, and of course, you know, traveling uh, students who are coming into China on faculty-led programs that we haven't had too many of those in the last few years. Now, one of the reasons that we have you on right now is that, of course, the Celtics are in the NBA Finals. Uh, you are right now wearing a <clears throat> Patriots jersey. You're, you're from the. You're not Hi, from. Hi, was that was Hi, was that a deliberate cough, or are you just clearing your throat? I was not clearing my throat. I was not clearing my throat. That was a that was a deliberate cough. <laughs> All right, I was just wondering whether you're going to edit this out later or not. But you know, no, so, no, so no. it was clear. All right, okay. First of all, okay. So the Celtics. I've been seeing you tweeting uh, tweeting about the Celtics a lot. Um, how excited are you? How worried are you? What's going through your mind right now, watching your team in the NBA Finals? Uh, well, as I put on Twitter, I, I'm I'm pretty sure Steph Curry played his, his high school ball with the Jedi Academy. It's just, uh, I mean, just incredible. I'm not, again, I'm not a sports commentator. I'm more of a sports fan. So, I mean, I, I, I watch the games when they're on. I'm a pretty passionate fan of Boston sports. And watching Steph Curry just simply single-handedly dismantle the uh, Boston Celtics has been entertaining in a very perverse way. But I have to say, on the other hand, I'm not... I, f I feel like the Warriors are going to win this one. The Celtics are going to win. We're, we're taping this on uh, on Thursday, so the, the the in Beijing, the game is actually going to be on Friday morning here. And I'm pretty sure the Celtics will win Game Six at home. It'll go back to Game Seven, and then they'll lose there. But here's the thing: this is this it, it almost works out for the best. The Warriors cement their place as a dynasty. Curry takes his place in the conversation of: do we put him up there with LeBron? Do we put him up there with MJ? Do we put him up there with the greats? And the core of the Celtics team, the average age, is like barely old enough to buy beer. So they're going to be back, and they'll be back better. So uh, let me ask Jeremiah, you know, um, and, and we first connect, connected early this year when you kind of had me on your podcast to talk about uh, uh, Olympics and, and all that sort of related, uh, uh, you know, sports, sports stuff then. As you know, an American expat in China. How do you digest your the sports? Are you are you using the Chinese platforms? Are you tuning in? You know, uh, to to the English commentary. Like, is it a, is it a mixture of both? Like, how do you how are you watching these games? Well, you know, I use a. I mean, just like anyone who lives, you know, behind the firewall, it's good to use all different kinds of methods to get information no matter if it's sports or if it's news and kind of having redundancies in places is, is necessary because you never know which platform is going to be working at any given moment you know i subscribe to some of the uh the mlb package and some of the uh you know the, the ones that are, are put forward by the leagues those can be really expensive but they tend to be, have the best options available and the most quality content available I also, like many expats in Beijing, use one of these dirty boxes, which if anyone doesn't know, are these semi-legal cable internet TV boxes that almost everyone has. Those are pretty good too. They don't have all the games, but they're, they're pretty accessible. And then in a pinch, you know, Tencent has that great app that you can use in your phone uh, that gets at least a lot of the NBA and NFL games. Uh, I usually listen to the English language commentary. It's nothing against the Chinese commentators who have gotten so much better in the last 10 or 12 years. I remember what, watching the, uh, I was in Beijing and watching like, the, I think it was the 2008 NBA Finals with, uh, this was the, this was KG, Paul Pierce versus the Lakers. And the uh, commentators were like, well, you know, of course, the Celtics don't have the Lakers long history of championships. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord. Oh, no. You realize there was an NBA before Kobe, right? So I was like, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to turn this off. Although, I don't know. Jeff Van Gundy may, sing, may single-handedly turn me back to listening to the Chinese commentators. I mean, so, it, well, it, it, it depends. But it, mostly it's the English language um, It's the English language commentary. So you haven't really been affected by uh, some of the blackouts, uh, shall we describe it? So, obviously, NBA largely off Chinese screens for um, about 18 months, uh, give or take. And with, well, actually... Two and a half years, really going back to the Daryl Moy tweet uh, of the fall of, of 2019. Uh, and then, of course, with the, the brief stint of uh, Enes Kanter uh, with the Celtics, they were kind of like completely at the top of the blacklist for, for a while. You presumably got around that watching the English language channels. But how much were you aware of that kind of happening 
from the from the Chinese perspective as as a Celtics fan here? Well, you know, when Ennis Cantor, Ennis Freedom, when he tweeted that, you know, I, I wanted to send a, like a, I wanted to send a DM to Spike Lee. Hey, Spike, someone hates the Celtics more than you do now. And <laughs> yeah. as I said, I, I usually watch the games uh, through through means that are quasi legal anyway, so it never really affected me. I, I don't usually turn on CCTV five for for sports or or really for any reason except possibly torturing the house pets. So <laughs> I. Uh, it wasn't a big thing for me, although I understand the the predicament that the NBA is in. And, you know, going back to the whole uh, original flap with the Houston Rockets, what was interesting to me about that was not so much it, what Adam Silver did to piss off ch the Chinese government wasn't so much the, the tweet or even the meeting he had. It was the fact that he reported that they had tried to lean on him. You know, and that was something very classic about that. Like anytime I have an interaction somewhat negative with the Chinese government, like if I, there was one time I was going to lead a tour for a, uh, let's just say a, a, an organization based in Beijing that the Chinese government does not particularly like or recognize. And, you know, the company I work for got a phone call saying, please don't give a tour to these people, but don't tell them that we told you not to give a tour to them. You know, that's the thing. Same thing with Adam Silver. They were like, we want you to punish the Rockets, but we don't want you to tell them that we told you to punish the Rockets because then we look exactly like who we are. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> so that was the part of the whole story that, that kind of amazed me. I mean, Ennis Cantor, I mean, he's, he's right to what he wants to say. These days, he's kind of leaning into that sort of weird right wing fringe that uh, probably wants to kind of check out who's like following him on Instagram. But, you know, the Celtics cut him. I mean, you know, what are you going to say? I mean, he, he plays basketball like I do, except he's taller. The man's feet haven't left the floor, you know, in at least four years. So it wasn't like he was going to be, uh, you know, a major cog in the uh, Celtics at this point kind of breaking down machine, but it is what it is. And yeah, just a final point on that. Like uh, there was a lot of commentary when he was cut. Um, and I would say almost exclusively from, from non-NBA fans saying, oh, this is clear censorship. This is clear pressure from, from, you know, from the league, from China and all this sort of stuff. But as a Celtics fan, you're like, no, it was purely basketball reasons. He just wasn't getting anywhere close to the team. Yeah, Mark, I would have said they should just watch him play, but <laughs> the entire first half of the season of the Celtics, they didn't have a double-digit lead big enough to put him in. And whenever they did, the yeah, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Enes Kanter had a great career. He's certainly a great representative of Turkish basketball, but you know, let's be realistic. He was on the Celtics roster on the downward slope of his career, and it has nothing to do with his political stance, which you know I totally respect. Uh, but on uh, purely basketball, the, uh, the cutting him was a purely basketball decision. The Celtics completely retooled their lineup in January, you know, and uh, they they traded a bunch. They traded a couple of players. They brought in some some good additions like Derek White, and now I mean that was that kind of set the stage for their second half comeback and into the uh, into the playoffs. Jeremiah, what? So you, I mean, I'm presuming you're going to be you're going to be watching the game tomorrow morning. Uh, like, how are you going to watch it? Are you going to be watching it at home? Are you going to be watching with other people? Uh, are there a lot of Boston Celtics fans here in town that you that you get together with? Like, what's what's your method here? Well, uh, for part of the game tomorrow, I'm actually speaking to a group, so I won't be able to see a, a section of the game. And that was actually the case for the previous game as well. I had to watch it on the tape delay, although frankly. I don't know why I bothered. When I when I do watch when I do watch the games live, I I, I have a lot of I have some friends, former students, in fact, who are living in Beijing. Uh, some of them are Boston sports fans. Some of them are like Boston sports haters. Um, either way, I'm texting with them. Uh, you know that that's that's kind of fun. Um, you know, it's hard these days to get together for games. There used to be a time when there were you know bars open and. Uh, the, when they're actually foreigners living in Beijing, we could get a group of people together and, and watch a game in the you know a pub. But it's just so hard to do this now, and there's not enough people to get a, a bar to open the in the morning for especially for basketball. So a lot of it's just you know home on WeChat or on Twitter. Uh, it's it's an incredibly lonely, isolating experience. To uh, also you know the what most people do who are emotionally healthy, I swear at my dog. That poor dog. Yeah. <laughs> at least you have something to swear at. Like, She's like, God damn it, Marcus Smart. She's like, my name is Snickers. <laughs> I mean, I'm also very much a solitary sports watcher. I, I you know, I, I get up early in the morning and watch the Raptors when, when they do play. And, you know, it's just the point, though, about like all these different Boston fans here. You know, when I, when I realize that somebody I actually like 
actually likes the Celtics. It's kind of like when I realized that one of my favorite actors is a Scientologist. <laughs> and listen, I, I get this. Uh, you know, Boston sports fans are among the best fans on the planet if you grew up in most of New England outside of that section of Connecticut we have ceded to New York. And, uh, but if you're not from that area, we are just absolutely obnoxious creatures of the dark. <laughs> and, and I, I get this. I mean, listen, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my, uh, wearing my Tom Brady Chinese Patriots jersey. Ooh, nice. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan, a Celtics fan, a Bruins fan. Um, you know, I, I'd probably be a revolution fan if I thought Major League Soccer was a thing. And, but, I, uh, that's how I, that's how I grew up. It, it, it took the place of religion in my household. And so I, what I don't get are people who are like from like, you know, Spokane, Washington and like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Patriots fan. Yeah. I'm like, really? It was like the kids yeah. when, when I was, when I was growing up, when I was growing up in the, the late Ming dynasty, the Patriots really sucked. I mean, they were horrible. They like, there was a whole decade where they won one game because of a guy on a snowplow. And what, when I was a kid, like all these people were like, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm a Niners fan. I'm like, dude, you grew up in like Lowell, Massachusetts. How can you be a San Francisco 49ers fan? Now they're all Patriots fans. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I grew up with it. I own it. I will say this about the Celtics. I was, I grew up, when I grew up, I was a kid during the whole, uh, you know, Bird, Parrish, McHale, Celtics versus Lakers, the lunch pail, hardworking, play by the rules, play the right way. Celtics against those flashy Showtime domineering, like, you know, uh, Lakers. And then I watched Winning Time and started to read books by people like Jeff Perlman. And I was texting one of my friends who's a Celtics fan and they you know, were talking about the is this a is this a, a family podcast? No, it isn't. <laughs> no. Okay. So they're, they're chanting about the fuck Draymond chants at the, at the garden. And I was like, you know, I get that. I like that. I, I enjoy that they're riding Draymond that hard. I would probably enjoy that about 12.5% more if I wasn't already really aware of the legacy of Boston sports fans, particularly white sports fans and outspoken men, young men of the black community. Yeah. So, you know, there is... That there is a side to being a Boston fan yeah. Yeah. that people need to recognize, and it, it isn't a pretty one. Can I ask the one? I, sorry, I know Mark, you want to jump in there, but one question about Winning Time, though the the way that Larry Bird was portrayed in that show was just insane. Like he came off as this absolute, I don't know, like some kind of a hick, and I don't think that's what, that's what he was like. I, I I don't know, but that was or but was he? I mean, your 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 face just telling me that that maybe I, I've got it wrong. I met him once. I shook his hand. When I was 10 years old, I had, I had a sprained ankle. My aunt took me to a basketball game and I was on crutches. And she said, take those crutches and stand by that door. And they all came out and they're all like, hey, how you doing? Like they thought I was like this poor little kid. Actually, I always sprained my ankle on, on the icy driveway. So, you know, I don't have a good, I don't have like a very close working relationship with Larry Bird. But from everything I have seen of the man... I feel like of all the people that Winning Time kind of really got, uh, Bird was certainly certainly better than Jerry West, who comes across as somebody oh somebody's West Virginian version of um, of uh, you know Charles Manson. But uh, the, the idea that Bird would be a uh, you know beer swilling like just maniacal killer, yeah, totally makes sense to me. Yeah. And I, and I think this is one of those things too is. You know, when people's careers, when the decades stretch on and the stories now get told, like like the Michael Jordan stories, like, yeah, he was out to 4.30 in the morning before that game. They didn't tell those stories 10 years ago. They tell them now. We're hearing all this stuff about Bird, about just walking up to people and the stuff he would say to people that would absolutely, I mean, this is stuff that's so bad, it would get anybody canceled. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and just that was... You know, again, this was this that was the '80s. It was crazy, but still, I think I think I think to some extent they got they got Bird's character right. Yeah. Mark, did you see this show? I didn't see the show, but I was I read a few articles recently about uh, specifically this Larry Bird just 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 destroying people verbally on the court and like kind of getting in their faces and like saying it deliberately to be heard, but like not for a wider audience, just like whispering it kind of in their ears. Like it's just like okay, I didn't I had no idea. You know, as a, as a Brit. I didn't kind of grow up with basketball in the same way as you guys did, but you know, obviously, obviously, you're aware of of of, of someone like Larry Bird. But yeah, didn't didn't know enough about him at that stage until recently. It was kind of uh, again, like you said, Jeremiah. You know, this that sort of stuff. You just there's, there's 
25 or more cameras at every game and probably microphones courtside, which pick up everything. Like you just can't, you can't do that today in the way that, that he could then. But Mark, I mean, and, uh, like in the English Premier League in football, right? They always have, they must have like those guys, the guys that you hate to have on the other team, but you love to have on your team who are constantly walking up to people like in like moments, just whispering in their ears, like, you know, how's your wife and my kids? You know, right before they take a shot. And, you know, they, they must have those guys in football too, right? I think, okay, they do, yes. But honestly, I don't think there are as many as before. Like the, the, one that, the one that pops into my head is Vinnie Jones, who is probably known more famously now as an L.A. actor. He was the guy who grabbed Paul Gascoigne by the balls. You know, there's a famous shot. Gazza was kind of like this legend of, of English soccer who, who you could tell stories about him all day as well. You know, he just kind of reaches behind him and gives a, a good old handful of a squeeze. And there's a classic shot there. You know, that sort of stuff. Uh, again, when there weren't the 24 cameras that they have today. Um, my, w- when I watch sports, and I kind of watch it all around the world from, from English, you know, I'm actually uh, a huge Montreal Canadiens fan, so I hate the Bruins with with not quite every fiber of my being, but but most, most of the fibers. Uh, my mom's from Montreal, so I do have a reason. Um, when I think of these, you know, the shit talkers, I immediately think of you know Brad Marchand and 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 some some, some of these the, these hockey players. I think more than I think when when you got the helmets on, you can get away with. Uh, there's so many good lip readers now, and when everything slowed down, like you could just see it more on on the soccer field than you could, for example, under a helmet. Um, I'm also, uh, by the way, a, a Philadelphia Eagles fan by marriage. Uh, they have a pretty bad rap uh, for fans, so so I kind of have this, you know, I guess distant respect for the uh, sort of like the evil fans, <laughs> if, if you will. Well, I think there are just some fan bases that are, are passionate and famous for things, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes those things are not necessarily the things those fan bases would choose. I mean, you know, hey, Boston, we love the Bruins. We love the Celtics. Celtics, we are casually racist. Philadelphia fans, we love the Eagles. We love the Sixers. And if you don't love it, we will actually literally beat you to death in the stands. I mean, you know, this is the kind of like, this is kind of the little, the, the, the thing. I, I love the fact that you're a Canadians fan and, and, and hey, your point about Scientology was, was well taken. <laughs> I, I, I always enjoy invitations like, hi, would you like to come on our podcast? Well, we take all of your childhood sports heroes and then we just proceed to take a giant dump on them. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the Giant Sports Insider podcast. Um, I want to ask you about the Patriots. And, you know, as uh, pe- people listening, uh, you've already said uh, you're wearing that, that Brady Chinese jersey. What do you remember about them opening the office here? Uh, around 2008, I think it was just after the Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. It could have been just before. before. Uh, just before. And then, you know, it was, there was going to be this China game. We talked about it for years. And then the, kind of the office quietly closed and, and they sort of disappeared. But was there a genuine excitement for, from you as a fan that you could see your Patriots in the bird's nest? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were completely psyched. And I mean, this the jersey I'm wearing, for those of you, I don't know if this is like a video thing, but I, uh, I've i got a, uh, a, my dad was in Foxborough where the Patriots play in, in Massachusetts. And in the gift shop, in, in preparation for the game, they had Chinese numbered jerseys for all the Patriots players. And I, he bought me one that was for Tom Brady, he has the number uh, 12 Char in Chinese. And, you know, it's been sort of my uh, go-to uh, good luck Patriots jersey for, for quite a while now. Um, and we were really psyched about that. And the, the backstory of how that didn't happen, I think is probably, I mean, Mark, your sources probably know better than I do. Cause I'm just kind of the casual fan who was like, Hey, they're not playing anymore. My understanding was, and again, somebody should correct me if I'm wrong. NFL is a notoriously anal retentive organization. Like they want to, they, they, they have, they want to have control over every aspect of the event down. Like they don't leave anything to chance. Um, un- unless it's Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, I was, like, I was go gonna say, it. yeah. <laughs> but as a as an organization, when they plan something like this, apparently they're 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 hyper detail oriented. And I can only, I mean, even though Be- Beijing was in kind of Olympic mode, we've we've all been in China for a long time, and you know that no matter how good an event is, there's always a lot of it's like, yeah, well, you know, we'll see, we'll figure it out, or like, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. Those are phrases that the NFL, um, you know. Those are phrases as anathema to an NFL official as, and now being drafted at number two, Ryan Leaf. You know, so, I mean, these are things that they just can't. 
really deal with. And I think that was, I think that's ultimately what ended up the uh, end of the, the exhibition between the Seahawks and the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were kind of revisions of that game and, and we were talking about, you know, the, some of the West coast teams were going to come years later because that was going to be easier on the time zone, the travel and the jet lag and so on. I think there were a number of reasons, but going back to your point, you know, China, there's just uncertainty here. And, and, and I was reminded of when the NHL came over and they were playing a game in, uh, in Shanghai at the Mercedes-Benz Arena there. And of course, they'd never had hockey there before, so they didn't really know how to do the ice properly. And there were practices where, <laughs> Jeremiah, you know what's going, you're laughing. Um, they couldn't see across the ice because it was so humid, it was foggy. It wasn't the, the length of the ice. They couldn't actually see the width of the ice, of, of, of the rink, because it was so, um, like, so much condensation. This was two days before the game. <laughs> game was supposed to play they had to like get some trucks and basically truck in these massive air conditioning units from all over the country and they just about cleared the uh the air so that people could see the park before the game was played but i mean <laughs> again leaving things to chance that's kind of cutting it a little bit too fine for uh, as you said someone like the nfl was it wasn't it also i think they also some of the equipment got held up and customs was one as well and then when on one of either the practice ice or one of the other, the game ranks, the ice was so soft, the players were legitimately in fear of their lives or at least their MC, their ACLs. I mean, this, this is, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not necessarily dogging the, the Shanghai, uh, or the China facilities for ice hockey. The boss, the TD sports, the TD Boston Garden, whatever they were calling it now, the TD Garden in Boston, they have no, they have a horrible problem whenever they have a Bruins and Celtics game. They put the Celtics floor right over the Bruins ice and it causes the floor to sweat so there's like giant puddles everywhere so this is not purely a China issue with NHL games but it was a it was a particular I think it was a uh, more noticeable with the uh when when over here well the, one of the things that kind of gets lost in the mix of this discussion and and I talk as someone who would be I would desperate to see any kind of you know international sporting event preseason whatever exhibition game over in China, that would be fantastic, whatever the league, whatever the sport. But one of the things that gets lost, I think, is is what it does to the players. The players themselves often aren't that keen. You know, let's let's take NBA. They've been tremendously successful going back, you know, pre-Daryl Morey uh, and, and the tweet uh, in terms of the China exhibition games and the preseason and just getting packed out arenas every time. The players themselves, with the exception of the few big stars who signed their individual endorsement deals. If you're a bench player, you don't want to be doing preseason on the other side of the world. It's incredibly disruptive. You're fighting for your roster spot. You're fighting for, you know, game time, even in an exhibition game. And you don't want to be, you know, like, again, your jet lag and, and in sub potentially not even substandard venues, but just like places you're not familiar with. So it's very, very disruptive. It's great for the team. It's great for the, for the league. But the players themselves, I think, are quite internally quite outspoken. Uh, we've seen that in hockey. We've seen that in certainly football. There were concerns. Uh, and, and NBA, not something you really hear about, but it's something that, that is, is spoken about behind the scenes quite a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think it, it's true also the Major League Baseball occasionally does exhibitions in Japan. They have this or open the season in Japan. There's issues with that, too. There are some exceptions. Um you know, if you've ever read any of the, the autobiographies or biographies of Red Auerbach, the legendary Celtics coach and GM, uh, back in the 60s, he would take his teams barnstorming in Europe to uh, hone their skills. And of course, back then, the players had far fewer rights than they do now because most of them were, working, were selling insurance in the offseason. So this was a good way for them to earn some money. I mean, it was legitimately a way to earn some money. But he also felt that that was one of the reasons why his teams were very well prepared because they would spend time playing in Europe against, you know, they'd go to places like, you know, Yugoslavia before the end of the Cold War. And, the, you know, they would put together decent teams. I mean, they were all chain smoking on the sidelines together. But still, you know, it wasn't today's NBA, but it was a good practice. It was good practice nonetheless, you know. You mentioned baseball there. Um, Red Sox, of course, one of the biggest, you know, franchises of any sport in the world. But baseball in China just hasn't, ever really taken off. And, and and I just wanted to kind of get your, you know, quick thoughts on this. You know, we see it so successful in, in, in other countries all around Asia. It's huge in Taiwan. It's huge in Japan. It's huge in Korea. Why not China? It should, it should be easy of all the sports to make it here. To me, as a, as a Brit who kind of looks at the American sports, 
it probably is the easiest to kind of get, I think, and, and, be, and be good at and get on a roster. Why do you think, you know, it, baseball hasn't really taken off in China? I think one of the challenges with baseball in China is actually one of the challenges that baseball is facing, even in the United States, particularly in cities, which is it requires specialized equipment and a special field. Uh, you know, soccer, football, you can you go around the world and you can see kids playing some version of that game almost in any space with that puts a goal and with anything that might resemble a ball. Basketball, you know, it requires a hoop, but those are able you can do that and you can fit a basketball court or a basketball game into some of the most improbable spaces, especially in cities, right? Baseball, you need a field that's a very that's usually a very special shape. You need you need gloves, you need bats, you can't really, I mean, and so, you know, you can, you could play versions of it. I mean, we were kids, we played wiffle ball in the backyard, but to really kind of develop a baseball program, you kind of need to have that kind of investment. And China, for various reasons, has decided to invest their sports development in other areas. And that's, uh, I know MLB has certainly tried very hard. They had a, I think they've had a league or have had, tried to have a league in China for many, many years. Never really took off. Um, you'd think that, you know, the whole Freudian thing, Taiwan is pretty good at, Japan is pretty good at, we should be good at, we should be better than they are, but that's never really been enough of a reason. And uh, so I, I don't see any time soon that MLB is going to make a, a huge, a huge splash in China. I think even less so now as the, de as the kind of information and entertainment decoupling only kind of grows. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see kids growing up idolizing, you know, Aaron Judge or, you know, any of the big stars of MLB right now. It just, just doesn't seem to be the case. To be that, For that matter, same with hockey. I mean, I know a lot of kids are playing hockey. In the wintertime, I see the kids down the, 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 the my local um, the canal here, the moat. They play hockey. But, you know, again, specialized equipment's kind of a – that's always something that's going to be a little bit of a, a hurdle for, for some parents and for teams. Yeah, and I, and I guess just just on the TV side of things, I was just sort of thinking about how MLB is actually on Apple TV now as well. There's a couple of games a week on on Apple TV, and Apple TV is actually only streaming service that I can think of from the uh, from the West, from the US, where, that you can use here without a VPN, which is which I think is interesting. So I, I'm not sure how many people here actually use it, but you know, it's one thing that you were talking about earlier about the, uh, the you know the, the semi legal cable boxes that everybody has. I, I have one here as well. It is, I, I have a pretty decent download speed here. I mean, it's like 200 megabytes, you know, a second. It's, it's pretty good. It's a horrible experience watching sports on these boxes. I mean, it's so jittery. It just stops. And I don't know if this is a universal thing, if it's just us, but, you know, watching a tennis game or watching a basketball game, just it's, it's impossible. I, I probably spend too much time and perhaps a little too much money considering my internet options here. I have, you know... Uh, the, the Wi-Fi router I use is one, is the same one that one of my friends who's from Singapore, I saw in his house. I'm like, this is like really crazy thing that looks like out of like Star Wars. I'm like, why do you need yeah. that? Because gaming, dude, like I need, I can't have any like lag time. And I'm like, I don't really game, yeah. but I do watch a lot of TV. I'm going to use that. And, uh, you know, I, that's one reason also, hey, while I have a, I have a couple of different services, even though. That's like, that can be a little bit spendy. For me, it's really important that if it's lagging, that I can kind of switch over. Let me explain why. It's not that I'm a huge sports fan. I am a big, a big sports fan. But it's not just that I like to watch sports. It's also because anytime you live abroad, wherever you're living, you, there are you always want to try to adapt to that culture. You want to immerse yourself in that culture as much as possible. And that's and you know, I always worry about the people who try to like recreate their lifestyle somewhere else. That's never going to work. They're going to be really unhappy. But tr but even as I try to immerse myself in the lifestyle here, I always want to have certain touchstones of who I was and where I came from that I can go back to. Not all the time, but just enough that it helps keep me grounded. And for me. One of the things I remember as a kid, one of the things that ties me to my family and my dad and all of his brothers is for the fact that we all watch the same sports teams. And so here where, you know, I spent the last 20 years or so living in a challenging urban environment, there are moments when I, you know, it's a little overwhelming and, and to, to like turn on sports center or to like sit down and just watch a Red Sox game, you know, that, that, that helps to kind of, that's, that's the thing. That's my thing. 
that helps keep me from, you know, wanting to go downstairs where my neighbor is doing <laughs> renovations and take a drill bit and help him find his own kidneys. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was... I, I was almost welling up until until your uh, final punchline there, uh, but but, but uh, that, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I, I'm originally from York, so I, you know, for my sins, I'm a York City soccer fan. They're way down the English leagues. You know, I haven't lived in York for for decades, but I still have that connection. I still follow them as much as it's possible to follow a, a very low, very much lower division team, just because of that memory. You know, and and. And, you know, your point about sort of staying grounded to who you are as well as, and I've, I fully take your point and appreciate your point about trying to immerse yourself. You do see, yeah, I, it, it's possibly inevitable with, with sort of the diplomatic community where people kind of come through for, for three to, to four or five years and, and they're trying to almost push their culture on, on other people. But, you know, they're not embracing, they're not embracing China. They're sort of thinking like, I, I've been to places here where, I'm not going to name the country, uh, but, you know, people, I could have been in that country for like a Sunday afternoon sort of drinks thing. It was just like, we're, we're just talking about the game and we're just talking about like everything else. It's like, no one wants to be here. I was like, it just, it felt weird. But I do, but, you know, I, I, I thought it was a really interesting point you made there about just kind of like, you know, reclaiming every now and then reclaiming parts of home to keep you grounded. Like it. Being a Red Sox fan has also helped me understand China. Okay. <laughs> How so? Well, there's a couple of different ways. Um, one is, you know, the Red Sox have a very checkered past. And, uh, you know, so as does the Patriots and, and the Celtics. And, uh, you know, I get why people don't necessarily like to talk about that past. But for me, it doesn't matter. Like David Ortiz, like they accused him of taking steroids, right? Dave, I, they could have shown me a picture of David Ortiz with hypodermic needles in his eyeballs. <laughs> I would have never believed it. And I am... If there is a nat, you know, they have like the, the you know, the, you know, the, they have the Hong Wei Bing, the red guards. I am a Hong Wa Bing. I am a Red nice. Sox guard. And the other part of it too, the other part of it too is I think about, and it doesn't matter who your rivals are, but the Red Sox and the Yankees, right? Red Sox and Yankees. I don't want to talk about that. Boston obsesses about the Yankees. Boston just is fixated on the Yankees. Red Sox, they give the Yankee scores on Boston radio because we care what the Yankees do. We want them to lose. You can start a Yankee suck chat at a kid's confirmation <laughs> party. I mean, that's how, that's a, here's the thing. You go to New York and you say, I'm a Red Sox fan. Like, oh, my God, sucks to be you. Like, they don't get me wrong. There are Yankees fans who don't like the Red Sox. And they do report about Red Sox things in the papers. But it's not like a constant fixation where it's it's in their heads like it is in for Boston fans. We live and breathe like, what did the Yankees think of us? This is what I think about with the U.S.-China relationship. That in the U.S., you know, yes, we care about China. We notice it. It's It's in the papers. But every, in China, I mean, I subscribe to all the papers on the on the WeChat feed. Every day, there's usually some article Absolutely. that deals with the U.S. Yeah. What's the U.S. doing? What's the U.S. thinking? What's doing? I mean, the the space that is being rented in the heads of the media so establishment here. And all I can think of is, like, yeah, my God, that is exactly me to New York. I get this. What are the blue What are the Blue Jays in this um, in this scenario? I was I was going to say. Um, Myanmar, <laughs> Guam, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, in, in this in this in this particular case, I think the Blue Jays would probably be like a a a, a, a member of the global mm. south um, that provides resources for money to the other two, and they compete over those resources. They're like, "Hey, kid, you hit thirty five home runs last year. Would you like to be paid in a real currency? Awesome, come play for us." <laughs> Like, we'll actually pay you in dollars. Yeah, no, a lot of them. Come with us. People will watch you on TV and everything. It's going to be amazing. I mean, how many times, how many times, have, how many times, have, as any, every time I watch, like, you know, the Padres, the Royals, the Athletics play, and they've yeah. got some kid come up, I'm like, God, he's going to look great in a Red Sox uniform, a Yankees uniform in five years. I mean, this, to, to be fair, going back to, going back to Mark's, going back to Mark's background here. Relegation. This absolutely yes. needs to happen in U.S. sports because oh, oh, totally. this whole ta- this whole tanking thing. Yeah, you know, I- I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a big. I have friends who are like Oakland A's fans. I have friends who are fans of some of these teams. But the A's are, are attracting two thousand, three thousand fans a game right now, and there it doesn't appear like they're really trying to win. And the idea is, it's not it's not fair to have like two divisions, a division that's constantly competing, and a division that's basically playing like quadruple A baseball. 
And uh, that's true for a lot of the sports, but baseball particularly, because it doesn't have a salary cap. That's a real problem. Which sport do you think is most likely, if ever, to get relegation in the U.S.? I mean, they've obviously talked about it in, in, in soccer just because of, 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 of the links there, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah, no, this, this, is a, this is one of those ideas kind of like socialism and <laughs> the belief that America is the greatest country in the world, not because we're super smart, but something to do with colonialism and capitalism that I have developed from living overseas, but isn't a very popular notion to share with people back home. If I say relegation, first of all, I have to explain what that is. And then people are like, no, that's, that sounds very European and that's just not what we do. But at the same time, I, I, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one, um, I would say NBA. NBA is a really good candidate for that. They'll never do it. Don't get it. This will never happen. And then major, <laughs> and then major league baseball to an extent. But here's the thing: an NBA franchise that was relegated to a, a lower division league, I think they might be able to actually still attract enough fans to then go back. A major league team, a major league baseball team is a huge infrastructure of development pipelines. It's a major corporation. You relegate them, that would be a death knell. They might as well just fold up. Okay, so we talk about fans. I mean, back. let's move it back to China just, just for a second, Jeremiah. You know, from all the sports that you followed here, from all the people that you've spoken to and the conversations you've had about sports, how would you describe your average Chinese sports fan? You know, I... To, to, to give you a little bit more context, you know, I, I look at soccer fans. They're pretty passionate here. Um, they obviously have just an awful, awful national team, and, and there's no sign it's ever going to get better. But they're still quite loyal. Um, I don't know whether it's kind of like maybe one part of that, that 2000 core of, of Oakland fans who still turn up, <laughs> if, if there's a parallel there. You know, basketball, um, NBA has been huge here for many, many years. Obviously, a bit of a rough patch with, with the broadcasting issues over the last few years. But to someone who's not a, a massively knowledgeable basketball uh, uh, fan or, or, or person, just just compared with other sports, Chinese fans have appeared to me to be to really know their stuff. Like, like they've sort of seemed to be into it. Um, you often go to other countries and see other sports, and you kind of think, hey, "What is going on here?" Like these chants that is just like trying to recreate something that it's not. That's a ramble. But but what's your perception of Chinese sports fans? Well, it's been fa just like a lot of things in China. It's been really fascinating and, and a privilege, really, to watch the development over a, what is really a short amount of time. Um, you know, I first came to Asia as a student in the early 90s. I first came to China uh, in the mid 90s, and I kind of came here full time in the 2000s. And over that time, um, watching fans in this part of the world develop not just an awareness, but an incredible savviness towards basketball globally and, and the NBA has been nothing short of remarkable. I, I mean, going back to the 90s, you know, I'd be playing pickup basketball in places like Singapore or, or in Shanghai. And, you know, we'd, I'd, we'd run pick and roll and like the other players would look at us like we just discovered fire. Like they had no idea what we were doing. You know, just simple, like a simple pick and roll play. And then, you know, flash forward to like the 2000s and more recently, if I go to play basketball, I've got these guys who are telling me, you know, what how how Kevin Durant shoots um, against a zone defense in the fourth quarter of close games, like really like super granular information. I would have absolutely no idea as the casual NBA fan. You know, this kid who's just sitting next to me is like 23 years old, who, by the way, is just running rings around me, is it's just like, you know, just letting this incredible amount of information. I agree that I think the idea that just because it was taken NBA was taken off the air. I think we we can under we can oh we can sort of overestimate the impact that would have on the average sports fan here who frankly absorbs NBA and basketball and sports in general whether it's football or soccer basketball what have you not through sitting down and watching the game on the TV like dad does they do it on their phone through like clips and you know rebroadcasts and, and that kind of thing so I I don't know if that really has affected too much the average or especially the hardcore fan um, experience. You know, I, I do occasionally watch the Tencent app when I'm on the subway and I can see the little chats going down there. I mean, you know, even if this is representing like a decimal point percentage of the population, right? And it probably does. Those people are super into it. And it probably that decimal point of population is probably still larger than 
Boston metropolitan area. So, <laughs> Jeremiah, besides sports, besides besides the Celtics, what's what's exciting you these days? What are you what are you looking forward to? Oh, definitely my next COVID test. Um, you know, I I <laughs> I'm actually practicing to set up an OnlyFans account where <laughs> I stick cotton swabs down my neck and throat and. You asked earlier if we were an adult um, uh, podcast. Well, I think you're beginning to cross the line here. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to start swabbing other places. No, no, I was going. Oh, it's, 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 it's OnlyFans, man, not Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, no, I, I, a lot of it right now, like you guys, is just kind of. I mean, it, it sounds so. It sounds so dire, especially because there are places in the world that are in much worse shape than Beijing. But really, a lot of it is like. I'm going to get tested. I'm going to try to avoid walking by that housing complex with the blue fencing all around it. I'm going to try to avoid not ending up in quarantine. And I'm going to dream about what it might be like to, you know, have a have an ability to plan longer than three weeks in advance. You know, it's a uh, it's just the reality of uh, of Beijing right now. And uh, here's the thing. I got this is just the other thing, too. How does it feel to be a Chinese sports fan and you're watching the Champions League final, or you're watching the NBA finals, right? And, you know, granted, don't get me wrong, the U.S.'s policy of infect them all, God will sort this shit out later is not the way to go. But if you're, like, watching, like, the Champions League, you're watching the NBA finals, and you're like, there's all these fans, no one's wearing masks, like, nobody cares. And, like, you're still, like, getting tested every day. That 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 increasing um, disparity, that's got to cause some kind of cognitive dissonance. I mean, I think I, the, the first time I noticed this was the Oscars when I called my wife in to watch Will Smith get slapped. And the first thing she watches is like, you know, uh, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. The first thing she says is like, my God. I'm like, yeah, you know, I know. She goes, no one's wearing a mask. I'm like, okay, I, you're missing the, missing the thing. But, but, but sports, sports, the thing about sports, and, the, uh, and I talk about looking forward to a day when we get back to normalcy. The thing about sports is... When sports gets back to normal, people feel normalcy has returned. Now, maybe it really hasn't returned. Maybe it's all an illusion. And to some extent, the sporting world in the, the, in the rest of the world right now is an illusion. People are still getting COVID. It's still being disruptive. But I think, it's, I think that's one of those cracks in the zero COVID armor that people aren't paying attention to is that sports fans really want to get back into those community of like-minded sports fans. And the rest of the world has done that. China has not. And it's not going to be the thing that tips the scale. It's not going to be the thing that brings down the policy or makes a significant change. But it's one little thing that I think is adding to a number of things that's causing people, at least a certain part of the population here, to start re or start questioning what's going on here in China. I think we've already seen that just a, a little bit towards the end of the, the European soccer season. There were some huge games. There was Wembley Stadium had a cup final with 90,000 people, um, you know, at the same time. I think that basically the same week that China was canceling the Asian Cup, you know, people were beginning to kind of in their subtle way that they do online here, draw those comparisons. Uh, uh, there is huge frustration. But again, there's, there's, there's that sort of power, powerlessness. People can't really do anything about it. They can't even travel overseas. In, in the UK, they just announced this week um, that uh, clubs are no longer able to, to, to cancel games for COVID-related um, reasons unless they have an extraordinary reason. Like, you have to really have a whole number of players who are, who are, who are out. Otherwise, you just got to get on with it. So even more than, like, it was back to normal, it's going to be, like, even harder. So, again, that's only going to get worse here. But like you said, it's not going to tip the scales. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly... I. I mean, you, as you've reported many times, Mark, a lot of these sports franchises in China, such as they are, I, I can't even imagine what, what you mean, what, what's the status, what their status is going to be on the other side of this. Or when's the next time you're going to get a major professional sports team from another, a big league coming here or a major international sporting event coming here um, or for that matter, a, a major concert. I mean, we talk about decoupling and think about it in terms of politics. We think about it in terms of you know, uh, the grand strategic uh, geopolitical forces of the world, but on a cultural level, on a sports level, that's the stuff that I think really matters more to people on the ground. And, you know, that's going to be a really big change and a pretty sad one, too. Well, where can people find you and where can people learn more about you, Jeremiah? As you know, I do host a podcast called Barbarians at the Gate. And Mark has been very kind to, to join us on that podcast before we discuss Mark's excellent book. I also have a website, Jeremiah Jenny. 
Com because that's not vain at all. And I my the, the brand that I use in Beijing is Beijing by Foot. We do, as I said, we do programs, educational workshops, both uh, live here in Beijing, and we do them online. If you have classes or organizations around the world who want a fun and irreverent but informative take on Chinese history. I may not be a fan of the Boston Celtics, but I am definitely a fan of yours. So good luck this week. And that was fun. Really enjoyed it. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you to Jeremiah, Jenny. That was fun. And thank you for listening. Mark and I will be back next week. 